Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Prevent Defense, the podcast. What's going on, everybody? This is the Prevent Defense Podcast. I am your host, Elliot Shore Parks, brought to you along with the one, the only, Brian Bollinger. And of course, the Prevent Defense Podcast is brought to you by Radio.com. And you can check it out on all the podcast apps and also the Radio.com Sports app. So we appreciate everybody that's been listening, everybody that's been leaving reviews. If you guys keep doing that, that would be great. Baldy, what's going on, man? I know you're in the, uh, the warm state of Florida right now. Yeah, I am. I am. Uh, you know, it's it's the midway, midway point here. And so, uh, you know, this league has pretty quickly separated the really bad teams from teams that look like they're really good. So we have sort of covered all of this along, but we'll we'll get into it in more depth. I'm I'm very thankful here, Elliot, for everybody that's been listening to the podcast. I hear good reviews. Uh, we enjoy doing it together and uh, we'll be here all the way through Super Bowl. So we look forward to some lively discussions. And I'm sure we're going to get things kicked off here today because I'm I'm pretty stoked for this whole weekend. I'll be in Arrowhead. We'll we'll see if Patrick Mahomes can play or if he can't play, and if yeah. Minnesota can continue their winning ways right now. Yeah, you mentioned how the teams are starting to separate themselves from the clear contenders to the teams that are already looking forward to next year. This past week, though, teams had a chance to really kind of help themselves at the trade deadline. Uh, here in Philadelphia, um, Howie Roseman, the GM, talks a lot about how the offseason process really goes up until the trade deadline. So, you know, after the draft, he, fans will say, OK, we're really hurting in this area. After free agency, they'll say we really need a running back, for example. Howie, and I'm sure a lot of GMs view it this way, view it up until the trade deadline as a chance to improve their team. Not a lot of action this week, though, with the trade deadline. A lot of rumors. Uh, Tlaib goes to uh, goes to the Dolphins in a bit of a surprise move there. But Overall, what was your thoughts on there not being much action? Because it seemed like there was a lot of players out there that were available, but
but no deals being done. Well, you know, there's there's a lot that goes into any deal. Like, let's just say Leonard Williams, you know, goes from the Jets to the Giants. Um, David Gettleman, the general manager of the Giants, has always, you know, everywhere he's been, especially Carolina, he's always built his team from the inside out. He's always been four deep at defensive tackle. And if you look at that team right now, and now Leonard Williams, I mean, they're pretty stocked at defensive tackle the way he likes to be. So, but, and, and look, I mean, the Jets were not going to pay Leonard Williams, um, you know, Fletcher Cox kind of money. I mean, that's probably what uh, his agent is looking for, but he just doesn't have that kind of production. All right, so that's that's one deal. Um, but I think a lot of deals were discussed, Elliot. I know there was a lot of deals discussed. Uh, you know, it, but you're talking about uh, some of these guys are getting ready to enter their second contract eventually, whether it's this year or next year. And, you know, is the money worth the player? Is the compensation you need to give up plus the contract worth the player? And what are you getting? And I think, um, you know, the Muhammad Sunu deal to the Patriots just you know, made sense. I thought I thought they could have got him for less than a second-round pick. But they've got Calvin Ridley, and they've got, you know, some young Russell Gage and Justin Hardy. They've got some young players in Atlanta. It was an easy deal to do. But really, by and large, most of the deals were very difficult to do. And the compensation of what teams I hear were asking – seemed almost ludicrous. Yeah, that was the thing to me that really kind of halted this trade deadline is, so the Jets, for example, they wanted a second-round pick for Robbie Anderson. I think Robbie Anderson is a good player. I think he is a guy that a team could get and develop and grow. He's already a really good deep deep threat, but a second-round pick's a lot to ask for. And one of the main reasons I think the trade deadline uh, was not that active, and I think it will continue to be this way, is because of the compensatory pick formula and that situation. So a team like the Jets, they're not going to trade Robbie Anderson for less than a third because they're anticipating that when Robbie Anderson hits the free agency market, he'll get a big deal and he'll be worth at least a third-round pick. Mohamed Sanu, similar situation. Like A lot of guys that got dealt were really dealt, a lot, or I should say a lot of guys that weren't traded, it was because these teams are asking for more than a third-round pick because that's what they think they'll get in the compensatory pick formula in this offseason. And I think it's going to be an issue going forward because, A, compensatory picks are extremely hard to judge. You're not ever really sure what they're going to be. You can guess, but let's take the Eagles, for example. Last year, they made a trade for Golden Tate. They give up a third-round pick thinking, okay, worst-case scenario, we get a third-round pick as a compensatory pick this offseason. He goes to the Giants. He gets suspended four games. His production hasn't been great. His deal that he got wasn't as big as many people thought. So now you're not even getting that pick. So I can see why the compensatory pick formula was put in, but ultimately I think it's something the NFL should get rid of because I don't I think don't think teams should be rewarded for letting their guys go. We have a salary cap, right? So if you manage it properly, you can re-sign your guys. This isn't baseball where the Yankees can just outspend everybody. So I think the compensatory formula pick is actually hurting the NFL more than I think they intended it to. Well, I mean, you look at teams that are stockpiling compensatory picks. I mean, you, and you look at what they can do in the draft with it. I mean, it's a way to really, I mean, it's, you look at what the Ravens did last year with their compensatory picks based off the players that they lost. And they really stockpiled, you know, young players at a cheaper price and they're paying off for them right now. So, I mean, I'm just one example, but you know, some of these yeah. teams that, uh, you know, are acquiring these compensatory picks can get three or four picks. I mean, even if it's seventh round picks, you're still getting players, and you know you got to hit on the bottom of your roster. You got to hit in rounds four through seven, 
And if you get more shots at doing it, the chances of you finding a player uh, are much, much greater. If, I mean, if you can get Gardner Minshew, you know, like the Jacksonville Jaguars got with a late, late pick, and he can win games for you while Nick Foles men's, and who knows, maybe he's the starter going forward. The way he played against the Jets, kind of hard to believe that Nick Foles could come off the shelf and actually play as well as he played on Sunday. Yeah, look, I agree. There, there's some positives to it. But I think overall, when you look at some of these teams, and you, you've you been around the game a really long time. I've been covering the NFL for close to 10 years now. I think that in some ways, the whole idea of building through the draft is changing. And I think that when you have a chance to make a trade for a player, for an elite-type player, you, you do that deal. And I, I just think the NFL is better off when players are being traded, draft picks are being traded, and teams aren't asking for ridiculous high prices for the potential of getting compensatory pick. That's my only thing. I, I agree that, look, you, you brought up the Ravens. That, that They're a very good example. Lots of teams are able to get these extra picks. And if you can draft well, they can be extremely valuable, especially if it's a you know end of the third round pick type of selection. I just love to see the trades. So that, so that would be my thing. But you mentioned the Leonard Williams trade. I wanted to dive into that one a little more. Because I think that's an interesting move. The Giants are, in theory, not really a team that's trying to win now. I mean, they're, they're probably not going to be a playoff team. Uh, you give up a third-round pick for a guy that's going to be a free agent. You spoke about him a little bit, but I'm more curious uh, to hear a little bit more about what you think about him as a player. Did you like that deal for the Giants, and do you see him being a long-term fit there? I love the person. I love Leonard. Um, I've known him since he came out of the draft at a USC. And, I, uh, you know, when he – People felt like he dropped, you know, to the New York Giants. Uh, people thought he should have, you know, he was the best player in the draft. And he clearly is not. And yeah. you could say sacks don't tell the whole story, but they tell a big part of the story. And he 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 can't get there. I mean, he's he's he is I thought he would be a more dominant player. I thought I thought he had great hands. I thought he had great, you know, size, length, all that athletic ability, but it just hasn't transferred to production. It just hasn't. And when you really study him, he's kind of stiff and he can't bend and turn and do the things. And he doesn't have the overpowering ability that Fletcher Cox has. He can't just take centers in this league and just walk them right back into the lap of, of the opposing quarterback the way Fletcher can and did and did it last week in Buffalo. He doesn't have that type of ability. So it's kind of crazy because. I mean, one of the reasons why the Jets got rid of him, they, they just were not going to pay him premium defensive tackle money based off production. And to me, it's going to be hard for me to think that the Giants would do the same thing. So if you're a team that's out of it right now, like the Giants are, are you really going to re-sign him and take a big chunk of your salary cap for a guy that really has not done that much? I mean, it's just it, it seemed kind of bizarre to me. Now, if if, if they have every intention – Elliot, of re-signing him, it's going to cost a lot. But if they do have an intention of doing it, and he's going to be there for the next four years, then okay, then then do it. But I I, I just don't see what he has accomplished in four years to say that's what you want to do. Yeah, and again, this is a compensatory pick thing where they're probably thinking they'll get a third-round pick as a free agent. But as you just mentioned, maybe around the league he's not going to be valued as much. I, I was in a similar situation last year with the Eagles where they traded for Golden Tate. I gave up a third-round pick, and he ended up walking. But I think the be one benefit for the Giants is you get Leonard Williams in the building. You get eight games out of him. You get to see if he's someone up close and personal that you would want to invest that type of big money in. Now, whether that's worth a third-round pick for, that that's debatable. And I'll, I would also say that if I'm Leonard Williams' agent, 
I know the Giants have every reason to want to resign me, and I know that I kind of have the edge there, right? Because they've already given up a third-round pick to to get him. So the negotiations, I think, would lean towards Leonard Williams' camp. Probably going to cost a lot of money to sign him if he has even a half-decent final eight games because of what they've invested in him. But the other team across the way in New York, probably the story of the day on trade deadline day, the New York Jets, they just look like more and more of a huge mess every single week. And this week, they really outdid themselves by Jamal Adams reportedly was on the block. Le'Veon Bell was reportedly on the block. And there was some talk about, you know, the, the Cowboys being involved and those type of things. And now Jam, uh, Jamal Adams comes out and says he feels lied to. He feels betrayed. He won't even talk to Adam Gase and Joe Douglas. From being around Joe in Philadelphia, I'm surprised he's allowed allowed it to get to this. Uh, what's your take on that situation? Because it, as a former player, like, this is kind of the debate. What what do GMs owe the players? Like, what 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 did Joe Douglas owe it to Jamal Adams to say, or is Jamal Adams wrong to kind of ask to be uh, kept abreast of what was happening? Well, I mean, I, I, look, I love Jamal Adams. I mean, personally, I I just really like the guy. Um, so it's hard for me sometimes to cross the line to criticize, but you know, for him to say that, you know. People don't pick up the phone to talk about Aaron Donald or Tom Brady. I mean, he's not in that category. Uh, nope. He's got two interceptions in three years. It's hard to see hits. He doesn't force fumbles. Um, you know, he gave up a touchdown pass last week in Jacksonville, and you could maybe say another one. Um, you know, I mean, and I don't think he's a, a total liability in coverage, but I don't think anybody thinks for a second that he is an elite cover man. So, look. I think, you know, the meeting that he had with Joe Douglas and Adam Gase reportedly is that they were they said that they were not that he was going to be a New York Jet, that they were not going to they were not interested in trading. But if the Dallas Cowboys call and say, hey, Joe, uh, Adam, listen, what are, what are you guys thinking about, um, you know, your star Pro Bowl strong safety right now? Um, you know, is there a way that we might be able to do a deal? We're interested. We need that guy on our defense right now to get us over the top. Well, I mean, if Joe says, well, I want two number ones and two number twos, it shuts the deal off right away. But if he could, if you get two for two number ones for Jamal, uh, for Jalen Ramsey, maybe you can in a fourth, maybe you can get two number ones or, you know, two number ones in a fourth. Maybe you can do, maybe there's some negotiation there. I mean, Joe Douglas isn't doing his job unless he's trying to improve the team. And I don't know that anybody on that team right now, the way they have played is untouchable. And so I think Jamal, you know, you know, all the reports are, you know, it's basically he's pouting that he's not going to talk yeah. to Joe Douglas, not going to talk to Adam Gase. I mean, that's ridiculous, too. I mean, just accept the business that it is. And look, he, he, he then he comes out and says, well, I'd love to play for the Cowboys. Well, I mean, it can't go both ways. You can't have Joe Douglas saying he's not he's untouchable. He's Aaron Donald. And then the player saying, I'd love to play for the Cowboys. I mean, that deal might get done next year. You know, who knows? But, I'm, like, I, if you're Jamal, boy, I mean, I would play the game. I'd play the game. I, I mean, look, go out and play out, you know, ball out this year. And who knows? Maybe the Jets don't want to pay you elite safety money. I don't even know who that guy is in the league right now, Elliot. You might right. know better who the top flight safety is that's getting, you know, the highest paid safety. I, I mean, I should know, but I don't. Joe Douglas has a real history with Ed Reed. I mean, Ed Reed had 64 interceptions. Like, he's a Hall of Fame player. Like, he changed the game. 
every time he touched the ball, he tried to score. Um, Jamal's not in that category. That's Joe Doug. If Joe Doug says, oh, I'm going to make this guy the highest paid safety, he's not getting that type of production on any given Sunday. Yeah. And look, I just think whether they should, whether they should have traded Jamal Adams, like whether they should have approached that or whether they should have taken the call from the Cowboys, you can debate that. But what I would say about Jamal Adams is this. I think he's a very good player. I think he's somebody I would want to have around as I build my team. I don't think he is, you know, he's clearly not Aaron Donald or Tom Brady, obviously. He's probably not even a top maybe 30 player in this league, maybe not even top 50. I mean, he's a very, very good player. But he plays a position that is important, but is in some ways a luxury when you're rebuilding, which the Jets are. So whether or not the Jets should have approached trading him, I think that can be debated. But once it reached a point it did on Sunday— and it was clear that Jamal Adams wanted to go to the Jets. It was clear that it was out there. You were either trying to trade him or he was open or at least open to trading him. And the Cowboys are offering you a first round pick. Reportedly, they offered a first um, and I think maybe a second, depending. Uh, I thought I saw ESPN report that. But if you get offered a first round pick, you do that deal because you're rebuilding. You get an extra pick. The Jets are far away from competing. Like Jamal Adams is going to be, they're probably two, three years away from competing. As long as Adam Gase is that head coach. I don't believe they're going to compete. So if you're Joe Douglas, you need to rebuild the offensive line. You need to get Sam Darnold more weapons. You need to improve the pass rush. There's lots of areas you need to improve. Jamal Adams can be a really good player on a team when he's surrounded by an elite pass rush that's making the quarterback make bad decisions. Then Jamal Adams can can be put in situations to make big plays. But for now, I thought it was a real mistake not to trade him once it reached a the point they did. Because like you mentioned, yeah, this offseason, I bet Jamal Adams will get traded. That is what will happen. But now you've lost all your leverage. You reached a J- Jalen Ramsey type situation, and they were able to cash in on that. But ultimately, you've lost leverage in terms of a trade. Jamal Adams has said he wants to go to the Dallas Cowboys. So I thought this was the Jets really, really misplaying their hand. And I think it's going to end up hurting them down the road because I don't think you'll get the value for Jamal Adams that you would have had you just dealt him at the time to the Dallas Cowboys. I, I actually agree. I mean, I'm not saying like um... – you're opening my eyes here, Elliot. But I mean, I agree with you, and I think mm. you're right. I think, but but I don't. You know, I heard it was a first and a third. I mean, that was the report. Now, what was really the compensation? I don't know. But if if let's just say if it was a first and a third, you almost have to do that deal, especially once it's all out there in the leakage, and now you got to do this repair thing. And you know, I mean, I, I agree with you. Like. It, the Jets would have benefited. Jamal Adams would have benefited. And to be honest with you, he's not hes not changing Sundays right now. He's not. They're not winning games because of Jamal Adams um, or his leadership or anything else. I mean, they it was, it was the worst offensive performance I've seen by a team this year last week in, in Jacksonville. The worst. And you saw the Jets up front against the Eagles. Elliot, you know yeah. how bad that looked with Luke Falk. It looked worse. And I think the worst part about it, I know getting off the topic a little bit, is I really worry about Sam Darnold. Because to mm-hmm. me, I have not seen a quarterback go backwards like that in such a short amount of time. Like he really, I, I worried about him last night. Not just the amount of times that he was hit and sacked, but the offense had no chance of moving the football last week. None. They couldn't well, do anything. Uh, let's get into that because that's that's interesting, and I, w- I want to get your take on that. You said Sam Darnold's regressing a lot. What are you seeing from him specifically 
Like, is that an Adam Gase issue? Is this a Sam Darnold issue? I know they're pretty, uh, you know, intertwined at this point. But what are you seeing from Sam Darnold uh, since he came back and beat the Cowboys where he, it's clear he's regressing? Well, the offensive line completely broke down. And to the point where, I don't care if you're Tom Brady or Drew Brees, whoever, behind the line that broke down as often and as quickly as they did. And Jacksonville, once they understood that the, the blitz, they weren't going to be able to do anything to counter the blitz. They just kept coming with it. And it was, you know, it was a six-man pressure quite a bit. And the, and the Jets just had no answer for it. And Sam Darnold, at some point, you know, was just dropping his eyes. He was, was you know, I, I don't know that he was seeing ghosts again, but it looked like it was that level. Like, he was not sure where to go with the ball. And he was not accurate. And he was running too soon, but I don't blame him. So... He doesn't look the least bit comfortable. And the coach's job is to get the quarterback comfortable. Like you can, uh-huh. you can debate anything you want about what Carolina did in San Francisco last week. And it was, you know, it was a sharp frenzy by the 49ers. But that Kyle Allen won four games in a row. And he was darn good. And they did a good job with a rookie left tackle and all kinds of other things of protecting him and doing things with him to help him. And I think he'll rebound just – I think he'll rebound this week. I don't think he shot by what the 49ers did. Um, but Sam Darnold's a different story right now. I Even this week in Miami, I don't know, especially the way Miami plays right now. They don't – I mean, what they did at the end of the game at halftime against Pittsburgh was a joke. But they're capable yeah. of throwing eight-man pressures at him. And they, they, are, they actually don't care if they give up a touchdown. I don't know that he's going to be able to uh, stand, you know, withstand that kind of assault right now this weekend. Yeah, the Sam Darnold thing is a major issue for the Jets. And the really the larger issue they have is they've handed the keys to the kingdom to Adam Gase. Because, look, at Joe Douglas, I still have faith in. People around the league have a ton of faith in him. He's viewed as a great talent evaluator. Everybody loves working for him. I think he has great connections around the league, which is very important for a general manager. Obviously, everyone has each other's number, but Joe has the respect of people, which is big when you're making a deal. But the issue is... Does Joe have the authority to fire Adam Gates? I know most of the times a general manager does, but Adam is essentially the one that, that picked Joe Douglas. I mean, even before all these moves were made, you heard around the league that Adam was pushing for Joe Douglas to get that job. So Joe only is there because of Adam Gates. So the question is, when the season ends, and let's say the Jets have only won two games, right? Two or three games, Sam Dolan's regressing. It's clear that Adam Gates is not the guy. What are they going to do? Because... I don't know if Joe Douglas has the authority to make that move. And I also worry about Sam Darnold because a year ago, I would have maybe put Sam Darnold on my top like four or five guys I would want to build a team around, taking age into consideration, obviously, right? Like Patrick Mahomes, far and away number one, those type of guys. But Darnold was creeping up that list. I really Mm -hmm. liked him coming out of USC. But now when you look around, like would I take Daniel Jones over Darnold? I might. Would I take Kyler Murray? I would probably take Kyler Murray. And I think Darnold still has that potential, but who a quarterback is around when he's young is just so important in terms of creating bad habits, getting rid of you know th- those bad habits, making sure he understands the game. And every single Sunday, Sam Darnold goes out there with Adam Gase, is detrimental to his career, and is hurting his chances. So not only are the Jets a huge problem with what they did at the trade deadline, I really think they're in major long-term trouble there because their franchise quarterback is in danger of not developing into what we all thought he could. Well, that's what it looks like, Elliot. And, you know, 
they they can't run the you know if you if you compare it to say the 49ers 49ers have lost both starting offensive tackles all right mm-hmm. i don't know that people know who daniel brunskill or justin school is at offensive tackle they lost their starting fullback um they they run the ball like nobody else in this business. I mean, you can say the Baltimore Ravens are the, you know, lead the league in rushing, and they do 205 yards a game. But the quarterback is a huge part of that. The 49ers run the ball in a way that is the most creative and innovative in all of football. And they have a guy there, Mike McDaniels, who has been with Kyle Shanahan every step of the way, from Washington to Cleveland to Atlanta, you know, and now in San Francisco. And he literally does nothing but develop the whole run game. Kyle really doesn't have anything to do with it. But if you watch – Matt Breida, that was his guy. That was Mike McDaniel's guy. Tevin Coleman was Mike McDaniel's guy. Like, he picks these players. I mean, he, he's the town evaluator. He's the guy. And if you thought, you know, if you're going to go spend money on Levy and Bell and you got this quarterback, give me a run game coordinator that by motion, shifting, deception, um, all the things that the 49ers do, can just unleash this fury of rushing attack to where Luke Luke Kinkley last week was just, he literally was pulling his hair out of his head. He couldn't figure it out. We were talking about one of the smartest linebackers that's ever played a game, and they ran for five touchdowns right down his throat. And on two of the touchdowns, they didn't block him. They just moved him with different movements and motions and things. The Jets don't do anything like that. Like, all they did was just pack it in. Pack it in, which was the worst thing you could do. They just packed everything in to try to run the ball and to try to throw it. And they just looked scared. And the quarterback looked just lost again. And I'm just going to say this right now. I, if he does not come out of this funk this week in Miami, the Jets are in long-term problems, to your point. Absolutely. And I feel bad for Jets fans right now because we didn't really mean to have this Jets bashing, bashing we session. We did <laughs> I think with Joe Douglas, the future can still be bright, right? I like Jamal Adams, although they seem to have butchered that situation. So, look, if you have Joe Douglas, maybe some things turn around. But let's start talking about some of the real teams here, teams that have a real chance. Before we do that, I want to remind all of our pre-event defense listeners, of course you should be using CBS All Access. As you know, if you listen to the pod, that every Sunday with CBS All Access, you can watch your local CBS game live with CBS All Access. You can catch games at home, on the go, across all your favorite devices. So to sign up, you just go to go to cbs.com slash insider and you get free one week trial of CBS All Access. You can use that trial this weekend to watch some of these great games we have. We're gonna get into three of them specifically, but before we do, I wanna talk about the 49ers. They're gonna be playing Thursday night against the Cardinals. So barring any type of extreme letdown there, I think that's going to be a win, and we're still talking about one of the best teams in the NFL. When I watch the 49ers, I see the 2017 Eagles in some ways. I think that Wentz played at a higher level than Garoppolo did, but when I watch the Niners, they're just special. Like, the more I cover NFL teams, the more locker rooms I'm in, the best teams don't always win, right? Like, you have to be one of the best teams, but to get to that level where you're winning the Super Bowl, where you're having home field in the playoffs, you have to be a special team. You have to find ways to win games. You have to beat the teams you're supposed to and really demolish them, right? Like the 49ers have the air about them that they are like the it team this year. So Mm -hmm. that's a feeling I get from watching them. From a purely X's and O's standpoint, though, what do you see from the Niners? Because although you have to be special, it seems like they're simply just out coaching and out playing every team they face. I don't know who they're going to lose to, Elliot. 
Yeah. I mean, I, you know, everybody's saying, you know, they, who they played. Okay, the Rams and, you know, Carolina had four in a row. I mean, they put up 51 in Carolina. Like, it wasn't close. Um, the Rams scored seven points against them. They, this Nick Bosa has changed an entire culture. Now, I mean, we're talking about a player like you could say, I'm not going to compare him to Aaron Donald or Lawrence Taylor or that type of player yet because he hasn't accomplished that. But he's that guy that walked into the room and everybody went, wow, look at look at that. You know, you know what it's like. You go out there in practice field and you just see somebody that has more talent than everybody else. You know, it's yeah. like when I was doing the Minnesota Viking preseason games and there was Randy Moss at practice and you're like, you know, nobody's like Randy Moss. It's like the first time I saw LaDainian Tomlinson play. I mean, nobody's like LaDainian Tomlinson. And I just think, you know, Eric Armstead has been there for three years and done nothing. Basically, wore number 91, really had a – he looks like an all-star and probably will be this year. Um, Solomon Thomas, they were going to cut him. He, he's an effective player. Richard Sherman, they, they had two interceptions all of last year. They've got 10 at seven games. Everybody is better. And Nick Bosa has changed it. He said, and, and the quality that it's almost like watching the Nationals win the World Series. The quality that you have to have to be special, and you saw it with the Eagles when they won, what did they win? 11 in a row, Elliot? 10 in a row that, yeah, that year? Nine in a row. Or I think it was nine in a row, but like 11 out of 13. And then obviously yeah. they won. Well, I mean, that. they lost yeah. to Kansas City and they went nine on a, a streak of nine in a row. Like nobody yeah. was having more fun. Nobody. I mean, Fletcher Cox was a big little kid, and Carson was everybody's best friend. And they were just having more fun than anybody. And that's what the 49ers are doing. They're just having more fun than anyone. Now, they have, I think, the best tight end in all of football in George Kittle. He, he's an incredible blocker. I, was, I, I never see the guy drop a ball. Never. And I'll probably jinx him for tonight. Um, <laughs> they're playing with two backup tackles that nobody should think should be probably even in the league. Um, Justin School didn't even go to the combine. Like he came out of Vanderbilt as a smart guy as their left tackle. Nobody even knows that he's been there since week two. But that being said, watching the run game gets me so excited. Like I, I look forward to watching their run game the way I, I look forward to watching the Patriots play defense, the way I like watching Aaron Rodgers throw football, the way I like, you know, watching Arizona develop. I mean, the way, so the Aaron, way you know, the way Orleans Saints out. over – Huh? Quentin Nelson. The way I mean, Nelson they're on that level. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, no, <laughs> yeah. nothing beats Quentin Nelson. But the 49ers watching their run game and how they – because what you have to understand – and I had this discussion with Brian Billick this week who coached with Bill Walsh in San Francisco. But what you have to understand about what San Francisco is doing and why they're special, Elliot, and what you're seeing is correct. There is no finite playbook to what they do. It is never ending. It is always expanding based on what the defense is doing and who they're playing. And if you watch even tonight, watch at the end of any handoff or throw by Garoppolo and what he does. Um, because off of whatever play they have, there's another play. And so all they're doing is getting a, a snapshot reaction of how the defense is playing. And if you think about this, Everything in life has a pattern. So what the 49ers spend the week looking at is what are these movements, motions, and formations doing to the defense's pattern? How are they going to react? Once they understand what the defense is going to do, then they have the counter to it. 
Yeah, look, people that have been listening since the beginning know I was a little skeptical of him at first, and I think it was fair to be skeptical at first, like two to three weeks in. But right now, I think it's clear-cut Saints 49ers are the best teams in the NFC. Let's do a little hypothetical here, a little hypothetical NFC championship game. Right now, that game, I believe, would be in San Francisco. But just those two teams, I mean, are those the teams to you? Because to me, they have all the key themes. They both find ways to win. They both have dominant defenses, which is not something you've said about the Saints. You, you have been able to say about them very often. I mean, last year they were very good. This year their defense has been great. Their offense find ways to score. The Saints have a lot of talent. 49ers are getting that talent. Emmanuel Sanders, you mentioned how good George Kittle is. Like, that is an awesome game if that's what we see. How do you think those two teams match up with each other? And of those two, who would you say is the favorite now to get to the Super Bowl? Because I used to say the Saints, but now I don't know. Because I think the 49ers, as you mentioned, are playing at an unreal level. Well, it's an analyst dream, you know, to think that uh, Sean Payton and Kyle Shanahan would kind of be going at each other. And, you know, with a a week to get ready for a game like that, um, you would see two of the best and innovative and creative play designers in the league today. And so right now I love everything about the Saints. I mean, what they did to overcome the loss of Drew Brees, they they just defined team. They had a kid that they activated last week, Elliot, that didn't play football last year, named Creshawn Hogan. All right, he's never caught a – you know, he's, never, he's caught one pass in the league with the Colts in 2017. But on the field last week, and they run a toss crack where they want to pull Teron Armstead. And so the two receivers that side are Mike Thomas, who will set an NFL record this year for a number of catches in a season. He might hit 150 catches this year. Nobody could cover him. But it's, it's Mike Thomas and it's Creshawn Hogan coming in to make the crackback blocks so that Latavius Murray can turn the corner, which he does for like 24 yards. But Creshawn Hogan makes a perfect crackback block. I mean, the guy never plays, but he's every single person, Zach Line. You want third and one or fourth and one or a goal line play, give the ball to Zach Line, their fullback. He was a 5,000-yard rusher at SMU. He's a great running back, but he's their fullback. So you can give the ball to him. He knows how to find the hole. They, every single guy has stepped up and their offensive line is the best in football. And not just because individually they're really, really good. They just play together as a group better than anybody else in football right now. And it's consistent. When they went to Seattle with Teddy Bridgewater, they did it to Seattle. When they played the Cowboys, they did it to the Cowboys. And defensively, um, led by Cam Jordan, they're as talented as any defensive football. Their numbers don't say they're as good as the Patriots, you know, but they're as talented and they play the game the right way defensively. They have all the blitzes. They have all the guys that can win one-on-ones. They know how to stuff a run. Marshawn Lattimore will line up with any number one wide receiver in football and compete like heck yeah. with them. I mean, they have everything covered defensively. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that I, I really hope that's the NFC title game. I would love to see that. And it would be cool to see it either in New Orleans. I've been there for playoff games. That is a very tough to play, tough place to play. And I know they're not at Candlestick Park anymore, but it would just be there would be something awesome about seeing an NFC title game back in San Francisco with the Niners playing in it. And as of right now, I I think that's the matchup we're looking at. The Packers, I think, have a chance, but I would say Niners Saints right now is the clear cut matchup. I want to talk about the AFC, and we have a great game this weekend that could be a potential AFC title game preview. But before we do, Baldy, I want to tell you about ZipRecruiter, of course. So hiring can be a challenge as the 49ers found out they lucked out they got shanahan and that's turned their seat turned their uh, really their whole franchise around but hiring can be a challenge for people and codable co-founder gretchen hebner discovered just how hard it could be 
Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team, so she had to look around. And what did she do? She went to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. And that's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. And with results like that, Baldy, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. You can see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes, and you can try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, of course, the smartest way to hire. Baldy, week nine, Ravens at Patriots. Here we are, potential AFC title preview. Two very different teams in a lot of ways, at least coming into the season. Coming into the year, you would think, okay, the Patriots are going to be more of a throwing-type team. The Ravens are going to depend on the run. Both teams have been running the ball a ton. Both are getting really high play out of their quarterbacks. Let's just get right into it. What do you see when you look at this matchup? Well, this is Sunday night in Baltimore, Elliot. And so everybody's going to get a chance to see a Ravens offense right now. They're on par right now, Elliot, to run – for over 3,200 yards, which would set an NFL record. Now, they're averaging 205 yards a game. No team has ever done that. But no, but they haven't played anything like the Patriots. So the Patriots, I believe, literally use every game during the regular season simply to get ready for the postseason. So they do things differently week to week to week. They did against Baker Mayfield last week. I mean, Cleveland turned the ball over three straight plays in a row. Um, yeah. But, but – this, this, is a, this is a game, you know, the, the Patriots have given up four touchdowns this year defensively. They have scored six on special teams and defense. They've scored six touchdowns. They've outscored their, the offense of eight teams right now. So they are taking the ball away. Stephon Gilmore is my choice in the first half of the season to be the defensive player of the year. He's been phenomenal. And I don't know that anybody can play like him. But they're just – they do things, Elliot, that – Nobody else does. The level of detail um, is unmatched in this league. So we understand that that's what Belichick does. But he's going to take away the Ravens' strength, which is running the ball. Now, they do it two ways. They do it in a power run game, you know, with, uh, with a bunch of tight ends and power-type plays and Mark Ingram and, you know, Gus Edwards. I mean, they, they do it with a bunch of guys. And then they do it with mad scrambles by Lamar Jackson. So... Bill Belichick, in 19 years, Elliot, has never, ever, not once, had a quarterback run for over 100 yards against one of his defenses. Wow. Lamar Jackson might do that on Sunday night because there's just some things you can't defend. You could put any number of players in a spy role. You could put Dante Hightower there. You could put Patrick Chung there. You could put Devin McCourty there. You know, whatever level of athlete you want. You could put two guys there. But I haven't seen anybody spy him effectively. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, they're the two highest scoring teams in football right now. So the Ravens score a great deal. Um, and so this is just Bill Belichick in, in his laboratory this week. What is he going to do to shut down the most ferocious rushing attack in the NFL? 
and make Lamar Jackson make difficult throws against guys like Stephon Gilmore. I don't know what the game plan is going to look like, but it's going to be the first game I'm going to watch on Monday morning. Yeah, so real quick, I'm picking the Patriots in this one. I know people point to the fact they haven't played a lot of quality teams, and that's why they're undefeated and they're so dominant. And that stat you said about them, their defense special teams essentially outscoring opposing offenses is maybe the craziest stat in the NFL. I think this is their chance to show that they are legit, that this isn't just about who they're playing. I'm not picking against Tom Brady in prime time on Sunday night. Real quick before we get into the next game, who are you picking? Well, I don't, I'm, I'm not much enamored by the Patriots offense, even with Tom Brady. I mean, they just don't do much. Um, yeah. The ball's going to go to Edelman on third down. Sanu played a role last week. Um, the Ravens, I think, can shut down Sony Michelle. Uh, you know, I think the Ra- I think the Patriots defense and special teams have to score. And you know John Harbaugh. He's not going to let the special teams score. So, I mean, I think it's going to come down to field goals here. And I don't know that the Patriots have a guy they can depend on right now. They just signed another kicker. I'm going to take the Ravens in an upset in this game, you know, somewhere around 16-13. Well, the Patriots, I believe they go into their bye after that, and then they they play the Eagles. So the Eagles are probably not rooting for them to lose their first game going into the bye. Would make that match even more difficult. But second game I wanted to talk about, Bears at Eagles. Eagles saved their season to a certain degree last, uh, last week in Buffalo. Once again, they go to the ground game. The Bears have a huge problem, really, all over on offense. Quarterback's not great. The play calling's been a disaster. The kicker is once again an issue. Matt Nagy's fighting with reporters. So not, not, not nothing is really going well in Chicago. But I wanted to ask you this about the Eagles and to get your prediction for this game. When I watch the Eagles, it looks to me like Doug Peterson is coaching the game as if he doesn't trust Carson. He always goes to the run. He's become a run-first team. Carson has less than 200 yards passing in four of the last five games. I don't know if Doug doesn't trust Carson. I think that he does, but he's coaching like he doesn't. What do you see from the Eagles passing attack right now? And do you think Deshaun Jackson coming back is the answer to cure all the issues they've had? Well, let me ask you this. You were up in Buffalo last week. How how bad was the winds and the weather to throw the football in in that game? Oh, I mean, it was the worst weather I've seen since I was at the Snow Bowl in 2013. <laughs> okay. So the, the wind absolutely played a factor. Yeah. Yeah, no, so I mean, I'm just saying, like, um, you know, I know they, they ran it 41 times last last week for 218 yards, and it's the best day in a long time. Um, so I don't blame that, but it, it looked like it was very difficult to throw the ball. Even the touchdown to Goddard didn't look like it was an easy throw. And yeah. Carson's got a very strong arm. So, but that being said, I mean, I think Deshaun can help. Um, Carson does like throwing the deep ball, although he has not been very good at it since Deshaun's uh, week one heroics. Um, it, the, the offense just looks awfully simple. Awfully simple. I mean, even the touchdown by Miles Sanders last week was just two backs in the backfield and just a, a cross-buck action where Jordan Howard's the lead blocker. Um, but, you know, it's just not a dynamic offense right now. They need Deshaun Jackson some element of speed, even in 2017, you know, they, they had, you know, at least they, they had speed outside with Smith. So they need a guy like that that does help to stretch things. I think it will open the things over the middle. But I think they're still trying to figure out what's best for Carson right now. There's, they still have not figured out what's the best way for him to move the ball in the air. There is no consistency to anything that they do. There isn't a route combination. 
Um, there isn't a particular formation that they look like they're really good at. Um, and the offense line isn't going to change. I mean, it's, it's as good as it's going to be right now. So they played a great game when they run the ball like that. But even you saw the first half, it was they, – they looked like they were just stumbling around that first half for the most part. I mean, they didn't do anything, you know, until, you know, the Buffalo turned the ball over in their own end and they got a short field. Yeah, I think stumbling around is probably the best phrase to describe both of these teams. I'm going to pick the Eagles in this one, though. I just think coming back home after three straight road games, we saw that Doug last year in the playoffs knows how to kind of game plan around Khalil Mack. And if Khalil Mack's not having an impact, it's hard to see anybody on this Bears team really changing things. The Eagles are inconsistent, but I'm, I'm going to pick the Eagles. So before we wrap up, Baldy, really quick, you picking Eagles or Bears in this one? Yeah, I mean, the Eagles start a three-game homestand. If they're going to make, you know, you said they saved the season last week, and they did, and they lost that one last week. I, I think it would have been, you know, it would have just been a, a really bad fall. But, you know, they get a three-game homestand right now. Uh, and, you know, the fans have not, to, in my mind, the fans have not been entertained at home. And it's the most passionate fan base in the NFL. They can't go out there and stumble around against the Bears. They need a good performance, not just, for their own health, but, and not to just stay in the race in a really competitive NFC, but the fans deserve better than what they're getting out there. They need playmakers. It'd be good if Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham showed up like they did last week. Um, You know, the secondary played better, but it was against Josh Allen and they'll see Mitch Trubisky who's, you know, been really inconsistent, but you know, the Eagles need to play a good game in South Philadelphia on Sunday against a team that has lost three in a row and is really struggling. Yeah, I agree. This is this is a game, especially with the Eagles having a bye week after that, and then you get the Patriots at home and the Seahawks. So this is a critical three-game stretch for the Eagles. Feels like every game early on has been critical for them, but I guess that's what happens when you're a 500 team expected to win the Super Bowl. Every, every week you got to kind of send a message. But, Baldy, I look forward to talking to you next week talking about all these games, Ravens and Patriots, Bears, Eagles, and anything else that happens in the NFL. As always, we appreciate everybody that listens. If you want to go leave a review, that would be great. We'll answer any questions we get. Uh, You can check us out on all your different podcast apps and, of course, the Radio.com Sports app. Baldy, I will catch you next week, man. Elliot, great talking to you. Look forward to it. Enjoy that game in South Philadelphia this weekend, Elliot. Will do. I'm happy to be back home. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.